What is going on, friends? Thank you for joining us for the New Vision Podcast. We here at New Vision believe that the gospel transforms lives. So we're going to take an opportunity to open up God's word and see what he has to say so that we can take the best next step to become more like Jesus. Hey, hope you guys are doing well today. Cloud back with you on the New Vision Podcast. We're continuing in the book of John. So we are in day 34. Uh, Brad White was with us yesterday. Thanks, Brad, for uh, talking about the resurrection of Lazarus. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that story. Uh, But that's the context that we're picking up today. So Jesus has raised Lazarus from the grave, right? He said, come out. And so Lazarus is, is, is alive. He was dead. Now he's alive. And this is the pinnacle of Jesus's you know, sign, miraculous, that, that side of his ministry. He's been teaching, but he's also been showing signs and wonders. And this, this is kind of, it's just going to bring everything to a head. It actually is going to be the miracle that starts uh, the, the real plot to kill Jesus. And so that is actually the heading for today's text. We're in John chapter 11, verses 45 through 57, and I'm reading out of the ESV. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim, and there he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up to the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think, that he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. And so today I had kind of two points. One's more explanation and another's kind of a practical takeaway for us. But this is an interesting, um, interesting section of, you know, politics in first century, you know, Jerusalem and, you know, the Roman occupation, as it were. So I'm trying to look for, you know, current day correlations. And really you see, so, okay, Jesus has just raised Lazarus, right? And then we see the scene where there's the council. So Israel at this time was what we call like semi-autonomous. Obviously they were kind of a puppet state. They were controlled by the occupying empire of Rome, uh, who's, you know, coming in and say, this is how it is, and we're the big bad boys, and you're, you're going to 
we'll give you a little space because, uh, you know, Judaism is monotheistic. We'll, we'll help you out there. You can have a little bit of room. We'll, we'll let you have your council. You can kind of be over your regions, your provinces. And so we have this council uh, who is made up of Pharisees and Sadducees. So what's interesting is, so when Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the grave, the council of the, the Jews, and there's all sorts of different factions. So these different factions convene to figure out what, what are we going to do? Like our little precious, you know, little puppet state is now at peril because Rome, I mean, there had been insurrectionists. There had been people take back Jerusalem campaigns and stuff in the time between the old and new testaments and Rome would come in and crush those. And, you know, basically like they, they're not going to put up with this. So we got to keep our people in order and we also want to stay in power too. So that's really what's going on politically. What's ironic is when you, when Jesus has just raised Lazarus, the Pharisees, like, so the Sadducees, there's this other kind of the other side of the aisle and of the, the groups that make up this council. There's Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees do not believe in the resurrection at all, like period. They, they're scoffing at Jesus. They don't believe in, you know, like spirit afterlife kind of stuff. It's, there's no resurrection, a bodily resurrection that is. And so the, obviously they don't believe that Jesus actually raised Lazarus, but they're worried about the people believing that. And so they're freaking out. So this council, which is predominantly made up by the Sadducees, you know, as we see Pharisees a lot of times written in these gospels, they weren't as powerful as the Sadducees or, or other factions were. And so they're, what's ironic is like, they're all gathering together. So these people hate Jesus so much. And I, you try to imagine this, I'm not trying to be inflammatory, but imagine hating it's 2022 in America. Imagine that someone is hated so much that both Democrats and Republicans like give each other hugs and, and like both sides of the aisle and they participate in going after this guy and they're, they're buddies, right? Imagine the left and the right being buddies in, in, in just this crazy, divisive animosity kind of times, right? So that's essentially what has happened here in first century Jerusalem. Like the, the both sides of the aisle are getting together. Now I also wanted to spend some time explaining one of this. It's kind of worded really weird. Now, if you follow along in John for long, you know that he, the, the writer, uh, loves to use like dual meanings. And we see that over and over again. That's a common theme or common literary element that the writer of this gospel is using. So we have like two breads, like there's a little physical bread and then there's the bread of heaven. Like Jesus is the bread. You need to eat him to have nourishment, to have spiritual nourishment to live. There's two waters, you know, physical water. And then there's the water that's like, you know, will quench your thirst, right? There's, you know, two births, like the, the physical birth and then the new birth, right? We see there's this dual element. There's always like, and people will say things like, oh, this Jesus is going to blah, blah, blah. And they'll say it and they mean it as an insult. But what they don't realize is that God is actually using that to, to fulfill an even deeper, true, like more, more spiritual thing that the original person did not fully comprehend what he was saying. He was actually proving something deeper. And that is exactly what is going on here. Here's another instance. So we have this chief priest, Caiaphas, who's the high priest and, and leader of the council. So he could like break ties and, 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 you know, he's, he's the head honcho. He, he had been the, the high priest for 18 years. 
And so this particular year, which is actually the last year of this this kind of thing, before Jesus is the ultimate high priest, right? He says, um, y'all know nothing, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. In other words, he means this in the sense that we're going to get in trouble with Rome. The nation wants Jesus to be king, but there's not supposed to be any king other than Caesar. We want to keep our place and we need to keep our people in line so we don't lose political power and, you know, our nation doesn't get destroyed. We want to eventually, you know, be free from Rome, but we kind of got to play ball, right? So it's better that Jesus should die. I mean, like we should partner. I know we hate Rome, guys. I know we, it's like kind of our enemy, but we've got to get along. Let's partner up with Rome. So not only are the the left and the right getting together and they're partnering against hating Jesus so much, but also they're all like, hey, let's go for even our, our, our greatest enemy, which is Rome. Let's partner with them too. So you have, they're all partnering with each other and that shows you just how powerful it is. So that's the way he means it. It is better that we should, we should all kind of rally against Jesus. I know everybody's rising up. So let's, as a council, let's side with Rome on this one. So it will divert attention away from our nation. We won't lose our nation, but it's better, you know, we'll just come after Jesus. Like we'll kill him and be done with it. And this will be the better way. And then, so John, who's writing this, he obviously Caiaphas means it in that sense. But verse 51, John is like, wow, he didn't even realize there's a deeper meaning that God intends behind this in a different sense. So in verse 51, we have this internal citation. He says, he, Caiaphas, did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. So he's not literally like Balaam's donkey, like God's using his mouth like a puppet, but it's ironic. He means it in one sense, but it's fulfilling of a prophecy that God's intent is that, yeah, you're right. Jesus is going to die for the nation. Uh, not to save it from Rome, but to save it from its own sin that you don't even realize. Uh, and so he continues to say, and not only for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad, which also has a dual meaning. You had the you know ethnic Jews who were the in, di- in the dispersion. In other words, they're, they're not necessarily living in the physical place of Jerusalem and Israel, but spread out. And so, you know, the, the God's chosen people are spread out, but... <laughs> Even more than that, not only for the nation only, Jews, but also Gentiles will see that at the end of the the resurrection when Jesus gives us the Great Commission. And then the gospel is not only for ethnic Jews, but for the whole world. Go therefore unto the nations. And so it's just crazy. You see this dual meaning as scripture, uh, the dual sense in which this is. I mean, it's just amazing that God weaves all this stuff together like even people who are the most have the most evil intentions and say things in a certain way, it's like God takes their their own hand and He's like, "Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself?" You know, like He can wield even evil for His own purposes for good to to bring about like His His ultimate good, His His the gospel, and Jesus is going to die for the nation. And so I just I'm I'm so excited about that. I love seeing these like deeper kind of text. I hope that's encouraged you too. I think I've gotten several emails. Like one guy emailed me one time. I'm so sorry I forgot your name. I couldn't find the email. Um, he emailed me actually actually asking about that verse. You know, like what does he mean by he prophesied? Like I thought he was the bad guy. He's actually is he a good guy? And you know, so I just remember I've gotten questions about this before and I hope 
uh, that you're, you're interested in that. Maybe study for yourself if you want to talk more about it. Email me, andrew.cloud at newvisionlife.com. I hope I haven't rambled too much. I want to give us really quickly just one practical takeaway so it's not just intellectual kind of luxury. So how does this apply to the Christian, right? We're seeing this. This is the plot to kill Jesus. Just as this moving the story forward. We know Jesus is going to die and sacrifice himself. Um, but coming off of the, the Lazarus resurrection and how this might, we could see an application for us. We're Christians, right? If, hopefully you're a Christian, you're listening to this. And you're like, well, that's not me. Well, I think something's important to know. Remember, we said this council is built up of Sadducees and they don't believe the resurrection. So they officially, you know, their theology is I don't believe in physical bodily resurrection. We obviously do. But the question for us is in what ways, you know, we could see ourselves. Oh, I'd, I'd never be like these guys are terrible. They're plotting to kill Jesus. But apart from the Holy Spirit, if you were back in that time, I don't know. Where would you be? You know, where's your unbelief? fall in on that spectrum. And all that to say, like, we not we may not have disbelief or unbelief uh, officially with our words theologically and what we say we believe, but in our heart of hearts, sometimes we have what, what we call practical, you know, atheism, practical unbelief, practic- practical, you know, living in such a way that shows that we may not necessarily think that, you know, Jesus actually is who he said he is and did what he said he did. And the resurrection is true. And my life depends on it. We might not actually live like our life depends on that. And that could be in any number of things like that you could apply today. In what ways are you living practically as an atheist, practically in disbelief of the resurrection? Because if Jesus gets out of the grave, then it changes our lives. It gives us the motivation to change our lives. Scripture says that he causes us both to will and to act according to his good purpose. And we receive the Holy Spirit to do that. But in, and we don't always yield. And so there's parts of our lives that are, are looking a lot like these Sadducees here. I know that's challenging. That may be a little bit provocative, but I, I encourage you to, uh, instead of always, always reading Scripture and seeing yourself as the good guy, maybe seeing, man, maybe I'm not in my heart of hearts fully living in light of the resurrection. And so I hope that is encouraging to you, and I'll trust the Holy Spirit to bring those things to your mind as you walk throughout your day. Hope this podcast has benefited you, challenges you, and we'll see you back on the next episode. Y'all have a great day, and we'll see you then. Thank you for joining us today for the New Vision Podcast. We hope that you have heard a word from the Lord and that you can better walk today in light of God's word. To find out more information about New Vision, we would love for you to follow us on Instagram at New Vision Life or look us up online at newvisionlife.com. And as always, we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.